This is Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, episode number 49. Today, our special guest is Vicki Tiasi, a nurse informatician and researcher at New York Presbyterian Hospital. We have an informative conversation with Dr. Tiasi about the COVID-19 pandemic in New York City and her observations and experiences as a nurse leader on the front line. Stay tuned. Hi, healthcare leaders. I'm Tracy Christofferson. And I'm Michelle Trosett. We're your hosts for Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, and we are so grateful you joined us today. You're about to see healthcare problems and challenges through a brand new lens and take your leadership to a whole new level with this podcast. We've coached healthcare leaders from across North America for over 30 years as they strive to establish healthy healing organizations and thriving work cultures. This is the only podcast that shows healthcare leaders how to apply polarity thinking, the missing logic in healthcare, to their reoccurring challenges so they can stop wasting time, money, and resources on fixes that fail. If you want to create a healthy healing organization where staff and leaders thrive and perform at their highest level, where values are aligned, outcomes are sustainable, and the highest quality of care is delivered, then this podcast is for you. Keep listening. Each week, you're going to learn how to leverage a polarity mindset and manage competing priorities as we use a polarity lens to explore everyday challenges with the leaders who are striving to manage them. We're thrilled you're here. Hi, everybody. It's Tracy. And Michelle. Here we are again. Yes. So happy to be back. We are. (laughs) So we just uh, finished a really, really great interview, and uh, it was just, uh, well, you know Vicki, but it was my first time really being connected with her. I just thoroughly enjoyed her. What a warm, wonderful woman. Yeah, she is really special. She really is. Yeah, yeah. And just, uh, I really appreciated her candidness and, you know, her um, experience that she's having in New York City right now with the COVID pandemic and um, you know, just uh, everything that she's experienced and her insights as mm-hmm. to what's happening there and the, and all of what it's taken, right, right to to move through this, right, professionally and personally. Yes, yeah, her story was amazing. Yeah, well, I, I've known uh, Vicky for a number of years now and um, spent two years in a mentorship program with her at the Alliance of Nursing Informatics, along with our colleague Susie Hall. We were co mentors and. Um, it's just been a joy to watch her career just take off and all the things she's been able to do. And today was, it was really something listening to another side of her and her in this experience and her being able to use her skills and her passion is still there. That's what I just loved about the interview. It was mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. So let's tell you a little bit about Dr. Vicki Tiasi. She is a nurse and informatician and researcher at New York Presbyterian Hospital. She supports a range of clinical information technology projects related to patient engagement and is passionate about the integration of patient-generated health data into clinical workflows. Vicki serves on the steering committee for the Alliance of Nursing Informatics and completed a fellowship in the ANI Emerging Leaders Program assessing nurse readiness to use health IT tools for patient engagement. She serves on several boards, the board of AMIA, No.Health, and the Karen Alliance. 
Recently, she was appointed to the National Academy of Medicine Committee on the Future of Nursing 2030. Vicki also teaches health informatics at Weill Cornell Medicine, and she completed her BSN at the University of Virginia, MSN at Columbia University, and her PhD, yay Vicki, <laughs> from the University of Utah with a focus on the integration of mHealth data into clinical workflows. And Vicki is also a triathlete and was certified as a health coach in 2007. So stay tuned for a fabulous interview. Well, welcome, Vicki. We are so grateful to have you on our podcast today. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, you're welcome. Very welcome. So we know that you're one busy, accomplished healthcare leader, and now our listeners will know all, all about you as well. Um, but tell us something you like to do for fun. Like, what does Vicki do in her downtime? So in my downtime... I do a lot of running, biking, and swimming, and I think a lot of people laugh at me when I say that. <laughs> like, how on earth is that fun? Um, but yeah, I've been uh, doing sports, uh, you know, ever since I can remember, and um, that that is just my outlet. That is um, my my social life. Um, you know, my. My husband also uh, does triathlons, running, biking, swimming. So, yeah, that's that's one of my favorite things to do. And then uh, certainly being here in New York City, you know, a big fan of taking advantage of a lot of the cultural activities, heading to Broadway plays. I'm a big movie buff. Uh, so, so, yeah, I'll be excited at some point when we can get back to some some of those things. I bet. I bet. Well, you're my role model when it comes to the running, biking, and swimming. <laughs> <laughs> She's living vicariously through you. I am. I am. <laughs> so you know what? I'm so excited that we're interviewing you today because today is May 12th and it's Florence Nightingale's 200th birthday. And it's also... Happy Nursing Informatics Day. So I think, you know, this was just meant to be, Vicki. Woohoo! Yes. <laughs> yes. And I think it's just, uh, it's just amazing on so many fronts. I think now more than ever, celebrating nurses is needed. And from a nursing informatics perspective, you know, the fact that we've got uh, data and information and technology informing nursing practice it is at the forefront and it is needed now more than ever. So I'm so excited uh, to see the elevation of uh, both nurses and nursing informatics. Uh, there's really some amazing work going on, um, which I'm sure we'll probably get to within the course of our questioning, but uh, yeah. yeah, a terrific day. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and uh, you've made such significant contributions as well. And so I look forward to talking to you about that. And uh, congratulations on the completion of your PhD. That's another milestone you accomplished lately. And why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what you studied? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It is, it is really crazy to think about that that was just <laughs> February when I defended. And, uh, and certainly in the nick of time, because... Yeah. I've seen so many uh, nursing PhD students uh, performing their dissertations in a virtual fashion now that they didn't expect to or uh, other of my classmates that are ha having difficulties with research. So I am 
extremely grateful. Uh, but strangely, uh, we have not had the chance to celebrate. Uh, so as soon as I defended <laughs> and got those revisions in, uh, really moved into COVID mode here in New York City. Um, however, uh, I am uh, really excited about um, my work and program of research because I think it is now, uh, again, needed more than ever. So um, the title of my dissertation was Patient-Generated Health Data Information Needs in Pediatric Asthma. And I looked at pediatric asthma because the adolescent population at the time were, were the only ones that were significantly using mobile devices and really grew up in a digital culture. So I uh, had a greater understanding of what it means to capture data uh, in a mobile fashion. And wow, now fast forward just a couple of months and we have got an entire new patient population trying to figure out how to capture data uh, from their phones, uh, how to connect with families uh, using mobile devices. And so I think this usher, you know, ushers in a new era of thinking about how do we capture all of these data um, and how do we translate them to information and be able to use that data and information to support our frontline clinicians. Uh, and, and certainly in my own organization, we are now, um, you know, have our foot on the gas pedal in trying to figure this out. Um, we have patients that are being sent home with um, a pulse ox and even oxygen concentrators. And how do we connect with them in their homes? And then how can we uh, introduce those data back into the clinical environment uh, to uh, help our clinical staff make decisions? So uh, I think it's, you know, really an exciting time to think through these problems and, uh, you know, figure out how we can support both patients and clinicians moving forward in this new world. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's just, it is the timing of everything right now. It's incredible. And Tracy and I are writing a chapter in an informatics book right now. And we start out talking about how things speed things up and some things are going so slow. And we're definitely seeing a lot of change right now brought on by the COVID crisis. So, yeah, I think that's fair. And I think there are also, as excited I am about moving this work forward, there are some real areas for opportunity. Yeah. Um, so it's highlighting uh, the areas that we're missing, right? So especially uh, some of the uh, inequities around the underserved populations and are we really getting devices in the hands of those that need it? Uh, so yes, um, I think there's there's... Yeah. Great successes, but clearly we got some work to do. <laughs> well, that's the one thing about these challenging times, right? They can shine a spotlight on some things we might have been a little bit blinded to uh, without, right, without the yeah. situation. So I think there, it, I think it all boils down to opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. It all, it's all about how we look at it and how we manage it going forward. Um, and I, so I just have to tell you, I'm so jealous that you are done with your PhD because I'm a PhD candidate in, in the process. And so I'm one of those that I'm probably going to be stalled out, right? Yeah. Because of the situation in the hospitals and my research will take place in the hospital. So yeah, it's just, but it's a timing thing and I just believe everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. And so, yeah, 
but good for you. Congratulations. That's so exciting. Yes. And good, and good luck to you. And I, I certainly agree. There's, yeah. I like to think when we look back on this, there's a reason for all of this happening. Exactly. Yeah, you have to believe there is, right? That's That's right. At least I do. That's what gets me through, right? Okay, there's a reason, and we just got to let it unfold. Yeah. So how long have you lived in New York City, Vicki? Yeah, so uh, this September, it'll actually be 25 years. Wow. So I have uh, been here in the city and working at uh, New York Presbyterian uh, during that time, and you know, very fortunate to, uh, you know, reinvent myself, if you will, every uh, five or six <laughs> years moving into a different role. I think that's, uh, that's a great part about nursing and healthcare in general, that there's a lot of different directions uh, that you can go in. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's very funny. I grew up in northern New Jersey, so only actually 25 miles from where I live right now. Wow. And when I originally were, was looking at hospitals uh, after nursing school, my parents are like, you know, just look at one hospital in New York. And I was like, okay, I will. Um, and, and sure enough, I looked at New York Presbyterian and, and that's where I landed. And I said, you know what, but I'm only going to stay here for a few years because I want to go out and I want to see the world and live other places. But yeah, I got... Got sucked in. I love it here. And now I can't imagine living anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there are some benefits to that, right? And yeah. uh, good for you to find a place that professionally you can grow in and call home, so to speak, right? And uh, I think not everybody has that experience. So there are some definite benefits to that. Um, of course, the eyes of the nation are on New York City right now and everything that's happening with COVID. And personally, my eyes have been there because I've had a niece who came there as a traveler to work on the front line as a nurse who actually um, tested positive after a period of time for COVID and has been in isolation. And I'm happy to report she's recovering nicely and um, her her stint there uh, working will be ending very soon. So I'm just happy that she's, you know, healthy and moved beyond all her symptoms with COVID. But we're all watching. We're all, you know, um, listening to the news and aware of the significance of what's happening there. You know, can you just share a little bit about what that's been like as a nurse leader to be in that environment right now with everything that's happening? Sure, absolutely. Well, first of all, I'd like to say, Uh, you know, extreme gratitude to your niece, because the amount of support that we have had here in New York City from nurses across the country has, you know, been truly amazing. And as nurses came to New York City and came to support our staff in the hospitals, uh, I saw an immediate shift uh, in the, you know, the the outlook of our staff and, and their, you know, uh, their, their day-to-day, uh, you know, activities. It was just, you know, wonderful to see. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but in terms of, you know, life in the time of COVID, (laughs) I'm sure there's going to be some good acronyms for that. Um, you know, it's, it's really, really was quite overwhelming at first, uh, I think that's the the best way to put it. I talk a lot about it was, you know, a fire hose um, that, you know, hit our hospitals. And, you know, although I'm thankful to have some other uh, nursing leader colleagues uh, across the world, 
Um, I actually have a very good friend in France and actually another um, in Switzerland right on the border um, of uh, Switzerland and Italy with actually family in Lombardy. So got to hear a lot of the uh, initial response in those countries. Um, but even with that uh, advanced knowledge, it was still really hard to ramp up and you know, especially when we didn't really know what we were going to be getting. Um, so I think that was, um, uh, you know, really, again, overwhelming for the leadership and our staff. Uh, however, um, initially, we did a great amount of information sharing. And I think that really made a difference. Uh, communication was uh, you know, a priority. So, you know, we made sure that there were, you know, back in March, we had senior leadership uh, speaking on a video every day that our staff had the opportunity to listen to. Um, we were walking around talking to staff, um, you know, spreading information. And the, the really difficult part was that uh, as as most people know, the information we were receiving from the CDC and, and other important sources was changing so rapidly. And trying to keep up with that um, and communicate with our staff and be very um, flexible and, um, you know, being responsive to the staff's needs uh, was was a real challenge. Um, but I think the, the lesson learned was the more that that communication can happen uh, is, and, and we know that in healthcare, how important communication is between care teams and between, you know, uh, patients and families. But uh, this really keeping tabs on one another and, uh, you know, spreading new information fast was critical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what types of... Um you know, support systems or maybe just transition changes that the hospital made during that time? What were some of the major decisions being made to help support the staff? Uh, so to support the staff specifically, um, I think one of the big issues were was around uh, getting uh, staff to the areas that we needed them most. Yeah. Um, so essentially, our entire hospital was converted into ICU mode, right? So we had to think about, you know, what does that mean for our staff that might be working in procedural areas, um, in the cath lab, in endoscopy, in the ORs? Um, and uh, when we initially uh, got the, uh, the recommendation from the state to ensure that we closed you know, all elective surgeries, uh, we, we, of course, uh, complied with that immediately. And then we had staff that were, you know, for a bit of time, uh, you know, sitting around, if you will, as we were uh, adjusting to that. So how do you ramp up the staff uh, to help support in other areas? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and how do we get that uh, that new learning out to staff, which I think was a huge uh, lesson learned uh, for our teams. Uh, do we get that out virtually? Do we have to get them together in a classroom? Do we have, 
you know, some sort of simulation set up to work with. So we had to very quickly mobilize around that and figure out how to staff appropriately. Um, and since uh, as an old periop nurse, um, and also I have a cousin that works uh, in the ORs of our organization, I was able to you know, hear a lot about the experience of our, our OR nurses. So for that team, we actually uh, prepared the ORs uh, or really converted them to ICUs, if you will. So we had to figure out for each operating room, how many patient beds could we fit in there? How many anesthesia machines did we have available? Um, and then very quickly figure out how to uh, ramp up the operating room staff to care for these patients. So we came up with a matrix model where we would have an ICU nurse supporting um, a uh, multiple nurses that were caring uh, for these patients. And uh, that, that really worked well for us. Um, however, this meant that it was um, a burden on the staff in terms of shifting their uh, work hours, right? So maybe they weren't working 12 hours. Uh, maybe they weren't working overnight shifts. So how did we, you know, how could we do that in a way uh, that uh, was acceptable to our nursing staff, um, thinking about their childcare needs. So that was a big piece that we had to get up and running quickly. Um, childcare, transportation. Um, we immediately set up uh, buses, um, figuring out uh, parking needs. Um, so alleviating the costs to parking since um, some of our staff were not taking public transportation. Um, and then the other thing that uh, we did was um, uh, we had uh, hotel rooms and actually some of the dorms from some of our medical school partners uh, that were used to house our staff that maybe couldn't go home and that uh, wanted to use that housing. Um, and we also provided uh, meals to the staff as well. So those were some of the pieces that we put into place. The, the list is, is pretty long, but there was certainly a lot to think about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, figuring out how to quickly share that information with other nurse leaders across the country, because we knew here in New York that we were going first. And um, how could we um, not only do the work on our own home turf, but making sure uh, other hospitals and, and um, nursing departments were just as prepared. Yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And thank you for all of our kindred colleagues at, you know, in New York, because it's, there's just so many lessons in that. And I was thinking, what a lessons in systems thinking, you know, mm -hmm. right there. Like one thing affects another thing, affects another thing. And it's just all right in front of you. And, you know, you hear a lot of talk during the COVID crisis about pivoting. But that's like huge, massive organizational community pivoting, you know, on steroids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it just, you know, there's so much you don't see. Right. Right. And uh, and that's a, our feeling has been all along is, you know, the eyes of the world have been on the clinicians at the point of care, and rightfully so. Right. Like they are on the front line. Um, but we know there's a lot of leaders standing behind them, lifting them up, making all the changes, right, that are necessary and didn't even have a clue of uh, some of the things that you mentioned. It was like very eye opening, right? Just the parking and, you know, all the things that you have to really think about when you're shifting all these yeah. people 
and trying to deliver the care that's so badly needed, you know, and support them at the same time. So thank you for your leadership and for, you know, holding that accountability because that's a significant accountability to, you know, moving through this whole crisis. And Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think the other hard part as a nursing leader that comes along with this is, you know, are you doing enough? Uh, and, you know, I think that the tricky part about this pandemic is that when you leave work, you are still dealing with it, right? So you're dealing with it on your commute home, you're dealing with it with your family, um, answering questions from your friends and and others that want to understand what's going on. Um, so it's uh, that that is, I find the the trickiest part is, you know, am I doing enough on the work front? And and am I doing enough on the home front? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you see any big opportunities coming out of this from, you know, what you experienced so far? Absolutely. I think this is going to be a tremendous learning experience. And uh, I've been trying my hardest to, to get it all down uh, because it's there's uh, I think there's so much that we can document and, and learn from moving forward. Um, so I'll I'll transition a little bit from the nursing informatics perspective, uh, given again that it's nursing informatics day. I think there's there's some great um you know, uh, lessons learned on the informatics front. So it was super interesting to me very early on when we were trying to track our equipment. So specifically, we were looking at tracking our ventilators and our dialysis machines. So that's the activity that I have been very involved in. And it was super interesting to me because you know, immediately uh, there was talk about, oh, well, they're not always writing in order and, oh, well, we don't have the RFID on the machines. How are we going to figure out um, what patients have the vents? And I said, well, we've got that in our nursing flow sheet documentation. And so let's look at some of the nursing practice and we should easily uh, be able to discern which patients are on vents and when they're intubated and when they're extubated. And it was just, it was just shocking to me that that was such an aha moment for so many people. They're like, really? And I was like, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And um, so I think, again, um, a, a real opportunity to show how uh, the, you know, documentation that nurses have been providing all along uh, can really provide actionable insights uh, into practice, and especially in this case, into our hospital operations. Um, so I'm really excited to see some of the work that actually my colleagues at the Columbia University School of Nursing are doing um, that are uh, looking at some of the decisions being made by nurses in the emergency room. And um, how does that help us understand the characteristics of potentially uh, uh, or uh, COVID patients that, um, that need to be, um, you know, admitted or sent home for, you know, watchful waiting, if you will. And, uh, there's also some work to understand, uh, the, the beds. So as I mentioned earlier, we quickly had to convert a lot of our beds into different levels of care. 
And again, a lot of times that might not be documented in the chart because that transition was happening so fast. You know, as one patient moved in, another patient moved out, and we were trying to understand which were our ICU level beds. Um, so we've got some uh, nurse informaticians that are taking a close look at that, again, using nursing documentation. So I think there are some real opportunities there um, in terms of understanding our data um, as we move forward. Uh, I think some of the other uh, lessons learned, um, as I mentioned earlier, on training and education, how can we be uh, a little more nimble in providing education to our frontline staff across the board, uh, communicating across teams virtually. I think that's a, you know, a big um, benefit that we've seen here. Um, and then the one that I like is the uh, connection with the community. So how can we uh, connect with patients in their homes? Uh, how can we make sure that patients that we have in the hospital who um, aren't permitted to have patients, uh, I'm sorry, uh, patients on our units that aren't permitted to have their loved ones and family members at the bedside, how can we connect them virtually with their families at home? So I think these are great um, opportunities moving forward to uh, do more of this virtual work, virtual rounding. Uh, specifically, one of the areas that I am looking at is given this new patient population that we've seen uh, in our hospitals uh, that are in need of interpreter services, you know, how can we make sure that we are meeting their needs? Uh, so up until this time, uh, if we had patients that um, had limited English proficiency, they had their, uh, again, their family members, loved ones, friends would accompany them to the hospital and, and would help, uh, you know, provide that uh, translating and interpreter role, if you will. Um, now we don't have that uh, luxury and that we have to figure out how to very quickly uh, ramp up uh, video interpreter services uh, to support the patients uh, in our hospital beds. And then also, as we shift to telehealth, which I think is, you know, wonderful that this has really uh, taken off. Uh, I worry that we're not uh, getting telehealth to the communities that need it most. So how do we get those interpreter services uh, into our telehealth products? Um, how do we make sure we're capturing the patient's primary language? And do we have all the languages um, available through our telehealth products? So I think there's also some, some great lessons learned and work to be done in those areas. Oh, lots of opportunity. Lots of opportunity, yeah. <laughs> That's the upside of the challenges, right? <clears throat> As we figure them out, they move us into a whole new, a whole new era, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so... You know, one of the other things um, that has been on the mind of a lot of people, right? Everybody's concerned, of course, about the frontline clinician, the clinicians, other healthcare workers, you know, essential people uh, in the healthcare environment. And, you know, and we've been concerned about the well being of the leaders, too, right? Because, as I said earlier, we know they're holding up the staff. Um, 
and just the ability to be resilient in this time, right? Building that resilience as we move through these challenges. Um, people were burned out before they even came into this, clinicians and leaders, right? And um, so how would you describe how are the leaders really doing or dealing with this, um, the, the, it's not even the aftermath yet. I mean, we're at the beginning, right? We're still at the beginning, I feel like, of all of this. But how are they managing and dealing with this pandemic and the crisis and their ability uh, to care for themselves while they're trying so hard to care for everybody else, as you mentioned, at home, at work? Uh, what, what's your take on that? What's your observation so far about the ability to manage that? Uh, so I would say it's varied uh, from what I have seen. And I think, Tracy, you hit it on the head that this is this is not a short term tough it out. Right. And this this is going to go on for quite some time, um, not only with covid, um, but then I also worry about the, the wave of patients that are not receiving care during this time and how we're going to handle that influx as well. So I think, yeah, I, I worry that I see some nurse leaders that have that, you know, tough it out attitude that, you know, I'm just gonna, you know, grind it out until we, you know, quote unquote, get through this. Um, and that worries me um, because that that is only gonna take you so far. <laughs> That's um, right. That's right. It is. And, and there's going to be, I mean, this has been traumatic, right? This is a trauma um, of, you know, of a magnitude that nobody would have ever imagined would happen in a hospital today, right? And, um, and there is going to be, you know, long-term effects of that for many different people. And again, the leaders are going to be the ones that are going to have to, right, rally together, hold the organization together, lift the clinicians up, right? Put the things in place to help manage all this while they're managing their own trauma. You know, some of them may have been traumatized themselves with everything that's had to occur. And it's a big concern, right, um, for us as well as a nation and as leaders. Um, and so, you know, um, it, it's how do we help help them to realize, to your point, this isn't going to, there's no quick fix to this. <laughs> There's no band-aid that's going to work, right? And um, and so how, how do we, what, what recommendations would you maybe have to healthcare leaders? So what can they do to, to make some modifications that will um, support them over the long term? Is there anything that you would recommend or suggest? Sure. Yeah, I think one of the the pieces is really, really checking in with, with people, uh, with your staff, with your fellow, uh, care team members and, you know, recognizing, and, you know, again, I think to your point there, there have been people that have had a really tough time with this. Um, you know, I personally had, you know, a close family member pass away and then, actually a close running friend pass away very early on, uh, uh, both from COVID. And I think um, being that we're moving so fast in, in such, you know, an uncertain environment, there, there isn't a lot of time for the grieving. So I think, um, you know, making sure to um, really check in with, 
with people and say, you know, really, how are you doing? And, and mean it. Um, so it makes me laugh because it, uh, it reminds me of uh, my, my first uh, nursing communication course in undergrad, which was all about <laughs> asking open-ended questions. And we always used to tease each other and be like, what? we're never going to use this. Well, you know what? Here it is, right? It's, it, you know, how do you ask those open-ended questions um, versus... And, and perhaps I'm, I'm a little sensitive to this because I've had some losses and, you know, we've also, uh, this has been in the news, so I'd, this is not out of turn, but we have had uh, one of our physicians uh, commit suicide at our organization. So it's, uh, it's really highlighted um, uh, across our leadership and, and across our staff uh, to really be aware of this. Um, to really, uh, to really check in with with each person, and um, maybe not so much cheerleading, um, you know, not so much you got this, you can do it, right? Um, and I think just to just to be mindful of that, and and you know where there might be the right time to say some of those words and to celebrate, um, just to recognize that not everyone might be celebrating. So I think it's just bringing that awareness to everything that we do moving forward um, and, uh, you know, taking those timeouts to um, to really connect um, with our, our fellow healthcare professionals. Um, because I think that this, you know, you're right, I think we're going to see some real ramifications from this. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about how do we support those that might have PTSD coming out of this. Right, um, right. I've also been uh, learning a little bit about uh, second victim syndrome, yeah. which I did not know much about beforehand. Um, so, you know, thinking about what we need to do to prepare for that. Uh, so I think there's going to be a lot of work around self-care moving forward for sure. Right. Well, and our, you know, our thought is that it has to start now. Right? Yes. Don't wait. Don't wait. Um, right. You know, people need to really be aware and mindful because it's it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So thinking about that. And so sorry um, to hear about your losses. Yeah. Vicki, this must be a, a really difficult time for you to be in the midst of all of this and to have to manage that as well. So my heart is with you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, and what that brought to mind, too, is just that this is a human experience we're going through. And another thing, just, you know, going back to the nursing diagnosis of treating the human response, like there's a human response that is happening, and it'd be really easy to ignore it during the crisis, but we have to be aware of it, like you said, Vicki, acknowledge it, and, um, you know, really lean into that, not be afraid of it, welcome it, and really give people the support by allowing them to grieve and express themselves. Like, if you keep that covered up, it's going to have ramifications. Yeah. And I, I was, um, we were just talking earlier um, this week about this um, new hotline for physicians that psychiatrists, I don't know if you've heard about it, but there's over 600 psychiatrists, licensed psychiatrists across the country that are manning a hotline for physicians. And um, one of the things that came out um, was that, you know, because of the spotlight on the clinicians and everybody, you know, talking about the clinicians, the hero, the heroism and how they're all heroes right now, and that that's having some 
ramifications for some people because now they almost feel like they can't ask for help because they're in this hero status and heroes don't need right. help, right? And Absolutely. so I never even crossed my mind and I don't think anybody else is either, right. right? That's lifting everybody up and cheering them on and you know, we think that's such a great thing and it is. But for some people that puts them psychologically in a place of, well, I can't be a coward then. I have to be in this hero role. And I just wondered what your thoughts were about that as somebody who's been in the midst of all of this. And Yes, I think you are completely right. And I think, again, that's tied to really checking in with folks because there there is that, you know, and I, I tend to do it as well. You really put on that tough face and you're like, I can do it. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, I don't need, <laughs> I don't need any help. Uh, but yeah, how do we let each other know that it's all right to do that? Yeah. And uh, really inviting, uh, you know, uh, friends and, and uh, co-workers that we think might be hurting. How do we, you know, really uh, let them know that it's okay and and I think there that the point on the resources for uh, healthcare workers out there it, it's truly amazing the response. Um, I'm connected with a lot of uh, local healthcare startup companies uh, here in our area, and they are all offering free services, free meditation apps. Um, you know, my own organization has a um, a virtual. Uh, service uh, that connects our staff to mental health workers. Um, we call it uh, uh, COPE NYP, right? So it allows them to get uh, virtual mental health services 24-7 anytime that they need it. Um, so yeah, it's about um, raising the awareness of the support and resources that are out there. And, and then, you know, like we're saying, let them know it's okay to use those services. Yeah, that's fantastic, really. So, um, Vicki, as a health coach, and we started out the podcast with you being a runner and biker, and we know that, you know, that whole body, mind, and spirit is, really means a lot to you. What, what advice would you give to healthcare leaders as a health coach and being healthy? Any advice? Absolutely. So, uh, growing up an athlete, I have you know, always been, you know, astounded by the the physical and, and mental connection in our body. And it's really what got me into nursing in the first place. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, when I first started coaching, I was really concentrating on sharing the skills that, that I had in terms of uh, doing proper strength training, um, you know, practicing proper technique, etc. And then I very quickly realized that, you know what, as a nurse, I also want to make sure that the individuals that I'm working with understand what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Um, now, 10 years ago, this was you know, not very common. Thankfully, <laughs> I feel like I hear it a lot more today, yeah. um, where uh, people are really thinking about how the connection to what goes in your mouth, you know, what you're doing for exercising and what's going on in your head are all connected. Yeah. Um, so one of the things this this pandemic has me thinking a lot about is, is something that um, I tell the, the individuals that I'm working with 
you know, you really need to focus on the things that are in your control uh, and um, recognize the things that are out of your control. Uh, so, for instance, if someone tells you, oh, well, you know, it was raining today, so I couldn't go outside and do my run or do my walk or whatever it might be. And, you know, I say, okay, well, that's, you know, nothing you can do about the weather that's out of your control. So let's, you know, think about what's in your control and what you can do um, in this situation instead. So, yeah, so I think there are a lot of uh, connections there. So really thinking about um, some of the aspects of mental training uh, and Again, as you brought up earlier, Tracy, thinking about how do we prepare this for the long term and and even for me personally. So uh, being a ultra distance athlete, uh, I've done a number of Ironmans and and countless marathons. And I find myself using a lot of the same techniques that I use during racing. Mm -hmm. Right. So really um, figuring out how to let some of the bad thoughts enter, acknowledge them, and then let them go. Yeah. <laughs> and really try to focus on, um, again, what you can control, try to focus on some of the positive aspects. And, um, you know, again, uh, you know, trying to keep yourself as healthy as possible, both physically and mentally. Yeah, that's great advice. Mm -hmm. A lot of lessons there. Yeah. Well, I think... Uh, our closing question, you know, uh, is really about leadership. And um, I had the privilege of being Vicki's mentor in the Emerging Leader Program with A&I, the Alliance of Nursing Informatics. And um, when you think about the young leaders coming up right now, Vicki, uh, going through this as well, um, what gives you the greatest hope for the next generation of leaders? So what gives me the greatest hope right now is that where nurses might have been somewhat invisible, somewhat behind the scenes, I think nurses are visible now. I think the nursing voice is being heard. And now I think it's time for uh, nursing to think about how do we, uh, how do we capitalize on this um, and how do we move that forward? Uh, so I'm uh, hoping that there will be uh, amazing opportunities for nurse leaders. Um, you know, I've heard about a nurse in Washington State that is running for office, right? How do we get nurses into those positions where they can influence and where they can, um, you know, elevate our profession and um, really, you know, highlight what nurses bring, you know, to the human race, quite frankly, um, because that's what we see happening right now. Um, and so, so I am, uh, I am very hopeful for our next generation of nurse leaders. I hope that, you know, organizations across the country will bring the staff nurse to the table as they are thinking about how to either respond to this pandemic or as they're thinking about, you know, restarting their areas or reimagining how their hospital might be working in the future. I think having those staff nurses at the table is going to be so important. Uh, and I think, you know, as you have been so generous uh, with me, Michelle, <laughs> to, you know, really uh, 
take a nurse with you, right? So take someone with you, um, bring them to your next meeting and uh, work on growing that, that next generation because uh, we will be needed uh, moving forward uh, more than ever, in my opinion. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was an awesome interview, Vicki. Yes. And um, so many lessons in it, um, just from being, you know, in the front line in New York City and working through all of the immediate changes that need to have happen. And, um, you know, one of the other things that we hear, you mentioned it earlier about the collaboration that's been going on in the New York com community. I think that's another opportunity that we see that we hope will be going forward is collaboration across the board with interprofessional teams, with leaders and staff, with communities. So um, I think that's another big opportunity in front of us. Yeah, I, I, I thank you so much um, for just, you know, sharing the realities. I think that's it's important for everybody to know what the realities are. Uh, we make a lot of assumptions, right? Um, and we hear a lot of things. So I just really appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability, just kind of really bringing what the realities and the challenges have been. And yet, I really appreciate your positive attitude and how you're looking at also all the opportunities that are available to nurses, to the clinicians, to the organizations. And, you know, I agree. I think it's, um, you know, a lot of barriers are going to be broken down. Um, because of this, right? It's, I think, helped us in some ways move beyond, um, you know, some of the barriers, roadblocks that have been in our way for a long time um, as healthcare clinicians and organizations and, you know, just really lifting each other up, supporting each other. And I'm just uh, very grateful for your willingness to be with us today and sharing your insights. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Vicki. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Definitely cathartic, <laughs> and and certainly, <laughs> and and certainly, uh, thank you for uh, having these podcasts. I think sharing experiences, you know, of of all healthcare professionals is so important. You know, it's it'll really help us help each other. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. We, we love bringing the reality, right? Like, yeah. It's, uh, it's nice to get to talk to people who are with their feet on the street, so to speak, right, who are just living it every day yeah. because, you know, it's our accountability as, as leaders to know the realities. And you've done a great job of bringing us the reality today. So thanks so much. Thank you. Be safe and well. Yeah, yeah you too. To you. Stay Bye -bye. strong. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks as always for listening to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We'd love to hear and answer your questions. If you have questions, you can email us at questions at missinglogic.com and we may include your question in a future episode. You can find show notes and links at our website, www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you're the kind of leader who wants to help others, then share this podcast with your peers and other healthcare leaders. We're certain if you found value in it, they will too. Please share this on your social media channels and leave us a review in iTunes. If you don't know how to leave a review, you can find instructions on our website at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast.